You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am your host, Parker McDonald. And this is episode number 27. Today, we've got a special treat because uh, you're actually just going to get to hear me be interviewed by my friend Nathan Unger for his podcast called The Whitetail Guru. Um, I thought a lot of the stuff that we talked about really applies. He thought you guys might be interested. So, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. guys happy friday um man i've got like two weeks left of the alabama deer season i know a lot of you guys are like shut up parker stop complaining because your seasons are already over um but man like i haven't even got to hunt in like two weeks since the last time i went to kentucky and uh man it's it's crushing my soul right now did get some good news somebody who we've all been pulling for to kill a deer to kill a buck finally killed the buck but I don't want to ruin it because I want to do an episode about it I want you guys to be able to hear the story from the man himself so if you follow us on social media you probably have already seen who it is if not it will remain a surprise until we record a podcast all about it but just know that there's a really exciting podcast coming up very soon about a specific buck killed by a specific guy that we all know and love so um I said it in the intro, but I want to kind of explain it to you a little bit better. So today's episode is actually going to be um, me being interviewed by uh, a guy that we've actually had on the show. His name is Nathan Unger. He has a podcast called The Whitetail Guru. He writes for Wide Open Spaces. Some of you may remember that episode. Really good dude. And uh, he asked if he could interview me for the podcast. So I thought it would be just be something that would be fun to share with you guys and um, for this week's episode. It was, a, it was a really good conversation. We talked a lot about public land hunting. We talked about tactics. I told some stories, um, kind of went into depth on, on some things that maybe I haven't gone quite into depth on uh, on on this uh, on this podcast yet. So hope you guys enjoy it. It was it was a blast to get to record with Nathan. So uh, go check out his podcast. It's called The Whitetail Guru. Um, now for a little bit of housekeeping, okay? So um, number one... I want to give a huge shout out to the boys, my buddies at Tethered. Um, I, in this podcast, you'll hear me talk about like what are some of the most important things that I've done this season. And just frankly, one of the most important things that I've done that's helped me become a better hunter is become a saddle hunter. Like I feel like I can just get into trees that I have never been able to even think about getting into. And, and it's paid off for me big this year. And um, so go check out Tethered. We've got Saddlepalooza coming up like in middle February, the day after Valentine's Day. Saddlepalooza is coming up. You can expect a podcast to come out of that because there's going to be a lot of really cool guys there. A lot of really cool saddle hunters, public land hunters. Um, just it's, it's going to be a good time. If you are going to be at Saddlepalooza February 10th, 
I will see you there, but I just want to let you know how excited I am to meet you guys. Y'all are going to be there. Hit me up. Let me know. Maybe we can plan on going out and trying to kill some pigs together while we're there. Um, next on the lineup, let's see, we got uh, New Breed Archery. So, New Breed Archery, you can go and, and order your bow, a custom bow. Fit it exactly how you want to. It, it'll fit like a glove because you can order a bow, whatever bow you want to get, whatever style you're into, if it's traditional, compound, whatever, they have it, and you can get it exactly how you want it. So, use the code Southern ground at checkout I think that's right southern ground all one word all lowercase at checkout and you'll receive free shipping on that bow next on the lineup we have got Onyx maps if you're not using Onyx don't know what you're doing best mapping software out there especially if you're a public land hunter check it out Onyx maps get your premium membership or your elite membership which is exactly what it sounds like elite is the best one you get all 50 states for like 100 bucks for a year and uh you can't beat it um next we got go wild go wild is a social media platform that is like facebook like instagram only better it's so much better than any of those i I'm, I'm doing a thing at church right now and it's it's a 21 day fast um and prayer time that we do for 21 days in january and i'm like just I really would like to just fast social media because I just don't want to be on social media because most of it's just people arguing and it just gets on my nerves. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to find that on Go Wild. You can find a bunch of people who are like-minded, who are outdoorsmen, who are sportsmen, who are good, solid people. So go check out Go Wild today. Download it wherever you get your apps for your smartphone and enjoy it. That's all I got for today. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really cool episode. This is a lot of fun with Nathan, so I'm going to stop blabbing on and just get to our episode with Mr. Nathan Unger of the Whitetail Guru Hunting Podcast. On the line with me now, I have Parker McDonald of Southern Ground. Parker, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing fantastic. I've been uh, looking forward to getting a chat with you and talk about some public land whitetails specifically. Um, but uh, you had a just a phenomenal year. Um, I, you know, I don't think you can um, argue with that. And uh, you tagged out in Alabama. But, you know, I don't want to spoil all all those details, but um, just uh, give us for those um, people that are listening and, and don't know, um, you know, kind of what you do. Just give us a brief overview of who you are and what you do, if you don't mind. For sure. Yeah. So uh, uh, my name is Parker McDonald. Like you said, I live in like North Alabama. I'm from Texas, kind of lived all over the place. I'm a pastor. I'm a, a worship pastor. And uh so, you know, getting started in the ministry kind of moved me around to different parts of mostly the Southeast. And uh, so I've gotten, to, I've gotten to be a part of those kind of places and, and live in Georgia and Texas and Alabama. And uh, it's just been really cool. And I got to, you know, hunt all those different places, you know, and uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. We're sitting here talking about Georgia. And I'm looking up and I've got a couple deer that I shot in Georgia. Actually, my best buck of my life I shot in Georgia. And uh, man, like, I'm just, I, I got to tell you, like, I'm a little bit jealous. I really miss deer hunting in Georgia. Like, um, 
it was a blast. I really loved to hunt there. Uh, never actually got to hunt public land in Georgia, which is kind of crazy because that's all I do now. Um, but I just never did it in Georgia. But anyway, so moving on, uh, live in Coleman, Alabama, North Alabama. I hunt public land out here and I host a podcast and a YouTube channel called Southern Ground. And that's all a part of, um, it's underneath the umbrella of the Sportsman's Nation. So if anybody is familiar with that, um, that was founded by Dan Johnson, who is the host of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm a part of that and really just get to talk about deer hunting with people a lot. Um, but I'm really excited specifically about today because I don't have to come up with the agenda for this podcast. You do. And uh, <laughs> that's uh, I, I was talking to my buddy. I don't know if you know Adam Cruz or not yep. from mm-hmm. Down South Hunting Podcast. I was like, I'm really excited about this because I don't even have to like come up with anything. Like I just answer questions. <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's like half the, half the battle of these podcasts is to answer, you know, thought or to ask thought provoking questions. And, but some of them seem redundant, but at the same time, you know, you want, you want to get some of the, you know, similar answers out of people, um, with, uh, well, I should say you want to ask similar questions that provide different, um, answers, but nonetheless, yes, I, um, I will be doing the agenda tonight because you, you got to do it last time. And I'm, man, I'm excited. I'm, I'm thankful that you're on and you'll have to get back over here to Georgia sometime. Um, I got to hunt public land this year. I didn't shoot anything on public land, but definitely found some great, some great locations, some great sign, but, um, yeah, we'll definitely have to make it happen. Dude, I, I, I want to go and we, me and you talked about it. I think actually we talked about trying to set, set something up. Um, and I just couldn't make it happen. I couldn't, honestly, I just couldn't afford a, another out of state license for this season, but, uh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, there I don't, I don't blame you for that. Um, for sure. It can be, it can add up quickly, especially going from state to state. But, um, so let's, let's kind of dive in what, um, going into the 2018 deer season, what was your goal? What were some of your goals going into the season? Well, so my, my biggest goal that I had this year was, um, I started self-filming. So everything kind of revolved around the self-filming aspect. And, um, it was really less about, less about big deer, less about mature deer. I just wanted to get, um, some, some of these experiences that I have on, on public land here in Alabama, I wanted to get them on camera and I wanted people to see them and I wanted to be able to share them with you know, like I, for, for example, I got one video of, um, the recovery of a buck that my dad killed. My dad lives in Texas and he came down and visited and I was able to put him on a buck that was a really good deer in Alabama, especially on public land. And, uh, and I had that video, man, I was just telling somebody today that like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to have my dad forever. Right. And that, that's just a, a reality. And, um, you know, my, my great, my great grandkids, my grandkids and my great grandkids, like there's a good, there's a very high likelihood that, um, they may not even know me, but they definitely won't even won't know my dad. My great grandkids will not probably know my dad. And so they'll be able to have something to look back to and, and, and remember us by and, and see like, oh man, maybe hopefully to be inspired. And as I really just wanted that, like, that was my main goal was to, to, to be able to document some of my um, experiences. And, you know, like, um, I, I I try not to put a whole lot in inches. 
Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that I live in Alabama. There are mature whitetails here. There's big, big deer, you know, there are big deer, but there's not a lot of them. And so I just try not to get too caught up in it. Uh, I, I get really caught up in the experience of it. And, um, you know, I killed a, I killed a, a pretty small buck for my first buck this year and he was small, but everything about the whole hunt just played out. It was my first, um, my first bow buck on film in the saddle, uh, there, I mean, all, with, with a kayak, right? Yeah, with the kayak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it was my first bow buck on the kayak, and like, so, like, there was just so many things in that that I was like, I oh, dude, I was jacked, and that that's on our YouTube channel, and you can tell, like, I'm so excited, and uh, and so, like, the, I guess as far as goals are concerned, I had some, you know, I had some that I set for myself. I wanted to, I wanted to kill the biggest deer that I had killed on public land which that, that's an obvious, I think that's going to be on my goals list next year is like kill a big deer, you know? Um, but I think it re mostly revolved around filming and, and just getting better at being a, a woodsman and a hunter. Like that was, that was a lot of it, like learning the woods and not just, not just being a deer hunter. Don't just go out in the woods and hope to get lucky, like actually learning how it works. So. Right. Yeah, that's good. And you know, that's, um, evident, you know, on some of those videos that, um, that you're mentioning. Um, so let's talk about, before we dive into kind of these hunts, let's talk about scouting. Let's talk about, um, you know, you, you told us that you're, you've been hunting pretty much solely public land. Um, if not, you know, solely public land this past season. Um, so where, where do you start? Um, where do you start as far as, um, finding spots to, to hunt? Yeah. So, um, like a lot of guys who are in the podcast world, I put a lot of stock into, um, the, the hunting beast style. Um, like that just for me, it's proven to be the most, uh, beneficial way to scout, especially preseason scouting, figuring out bedding and learning how to find bedding in whatever, whatever type of terrain that you're, that you're in. Um, that's proven to me to be like, like the best way to scout. Uh, and, and a lot of that is because, you know, as well as I do, Nathan, that like a lot of, uh, of us Southern guys down here, we put a lot into the acorn crop and hunting white oaks and especially during, you know, that middle bow season all the way up through like pretty close around December. Um, white oaks are a hot food source. And uh, and then after that, you know, red oaks turn into a pretty hot food source, especially like in the areas where I hunt where we don't have a lot of ag, we don't have a lot of crops that's, that's kind of their food source for a majority of the deer season. And, um, so going in and finding those areas that, that are great for bedding and also great for food while you're, while you're hunting. So obviously in the summertime, um, I, I guess to explain that a little bit better in the summertime, you're going to, you're going to find oak trees, you're going to find white oaks, you're going to find, um, red oaks, you're going to find all that kind of stuff. You're not going to see a lot of deer sign necessarily around them right now or not during the summertime when you're doing a lot of your preseason scouting, you're not going to find a lot of the sign, but knowing that that's going to be a hot food source, figuring that out and then finding the bedding that where they're bedding at, you know, around that hot food source. Um, especially if you want to make something happen in the early bow season, um, that is find find the areas that are the closest together that are bed to food on that bed to food pattern. And, that's always for me like the since I started hunting public land and started really learning this method 
that's been the best thing. And then what you end up finding is um, when you when you find those areas, I scout, uh, if I'm just being completely honest, transparent with you, I scout for my early season. And then everything else kind of gets adapted from there, from that point on. You know, as the season progresses, I find new spots. I find new places. I, I may go into some of the places that I've scouted during the summer just to see what they're producing during the season, see if there's any type of uh, recent or fresh sign in there. Um, and just kind of adapt it to that. But I'm really scouting in the summertime for that first month, probably, of bow season. So, you know, that mid, mid-October mid to mid-November is really what I'm scouting. That's kind of what I'm, where I'm starting at is trying to figure out that early season, that early season pattern. Does that kind of answer that question? Yeah, it totally, it totally does. And I, I think one thing that, um, you know, you kind of hit on is the fact that down here in the South, we have mild winters for the most part. Um, you know, it, it gets cold from time to time in, uh, January and February, but sometimes, um, that means that, you know, the deer still have plenty of cover going from, um, late October into November. And so they, you know, they haven't necessarily changed their patterns up too much. Yeah. Some of them change their patterns when they lose their velvet, but if you can stick on them and keep on them, they, they pretty much keep those, those same, you know, patterns until the rut comes around. And so, um, is like you said, um, stay on the food sources and then, um, I mean, it's an, obviously an added bonus if you can find those bedrooms, but look, now let me ask you this, when you're focusing on buck bedding, how aggressive are you getting to start out? Are you going right into that bedroom if you know the buck's in there, or are you progressing throughout the season getting more aggressive? So, um, yeah, I, I guess maybe a little bit of a correction there would be, like, I'm not just focusing on buck bedding. Like, if anything, like, I'm just I'm fo- focusing on bedding, period. Because I know at some point – buck bedding and doe bedding is going to be a very beneficial part of my season. So during the rut, um, if I can find really solid doe bedding that offers all the, all the, the benefits that they, that they're needing, um, I can put that in my back pocket until the rut. And I mean, honestly, that's how I killed two of my bucks this year was from hunting doe bedding and knowing where the does are bedded at. So, um, that's, that being said, during the, during the, the early part of the season, a lot of what I'm doing is like, I am, I'm going into some new areas, right? And so I'm going into a lot of the areas where I feel like I can be a little bit more aggressive at. Um, what I don't want to do is I do not want to mess up those doe bedding areas before it even gets to be the rut. I don't want them to, I don't want them to move on and find a new place to bed. And so I'm usually, I'm usually pretty conservative in those type of areas. Now, if I'm going into a new spot, a spot that I've never been to, man, I am, I'm pretty dang aggressive. Like I get pretty aggressive. Uh, so aggressive. In fact, that like, sometimes it just doesn't work out for me. I, for example, we, uh, we hunted a new WMA for like the first, or I guess it was, uh, the second two weeks of the season we hunted this WMA exclusively. I didn't even go into my normal spots. I'd never been in this place. It was all water access. A lot of people were using like mud boats and I was using the kayak. And I'm telling you, man, I, 
I struggled so bad because I was too aggressive. Like almost every time I would go in to these places, I would jump a buck up uh, out of his bed. And so I was, I was really getting a little bit too aggressive. Now it didn't, I always felt like I was in the game, even though I probably wasn't, I was seeing more bucks than a lot of people were out there. But I, I mean, I was ruining all of my chances and I ended up, <laughs> I ended up because of that, I ended up shooting a deer out there, a, a little doe that was the smallest deer I've ever seen because I worked, I worked so hard and I just could not get on the bucks and, uh, ended up shooting this deer that was like, I mean, it was tiny, tiny, tiny. And, um, but it, it, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I'm not complaining about it. Like, and, and some people may disagree with it. I worked my butt off and that was the only deer that ever gave me a shot opportunity there. And so, um, it is what it is, but I, I honestly think I did not get a shot off at, the, at one of these bucks cause I was just playing it too aggressive. And, um, but at the same time, now what I have is you, you kind of have to look at it, Nathan, like, um, it's really hard not to get discouraged, right. When you're going into these new areas and you're not bringing deer out of them, you know, you're not, you're not getting shot opportunities. I did that in Kentucky all year this year. Um, I went into these new places aggressively and I just, it was really hard to go in a lot of these areas where I was so confident, but. Um, it's not a sprint. This, this whole whitetail public land lifestyle, it's just not a sprint. It's a, it's a long distance race. And so what you're doing is you're building up this Intel and you're learning more things. So being aggressive is not a bad thing. Um, watching deer jump out of their bed is not a bad thing. It sucks for that day, but the next time next year, you know, okay, there was a bed here at what, there was a big buck bedding down right here. If he's still alive, he could still be using this spot and now I know how to access it. And so I guess that was a long answer to your question of being aggressive or not. <laughs> yes, I'm very aggressive. It No, it doesn't always work. Probably works less than like 5% of the time, but it's a long, it's a long term. It's just building up that arsenal of places and betting and knowing where these bucks are bedded at. So, yeah. Right. So let me ask you this. Would you would what would you change next year when you when you start this process over again if there's anything that you would change? Uh, Let, let's let's talk about Kentucky first. You have a limited time in Kentucky. Um, what what would you do differently? Okay, so in Kentucky, uh, hopefully I don't give away too terribly much because I want people to go and experience it and learn it for themselves. But in Kentucky. Uh, what we did wrong was we completely we we made it harder than it was. So we're used to hunting Alabama, low deer density, tough terrain, mature deer are smart as all get out out here, and there's a there's a lot of pressure out here too. And so we went into Kentucky and hunted it like it was Alabama, and uh, and, and it didn't work. You know, the guy that was the kind of the manager over the whole WMA we were at. He was like, uh, man, he's like, there's been five. And this, this was, mind you, like I got there the day after opening day of bow season. And I talked to him on like day three or four. And he was like, man, right behind the check-in station, guys are just, they keep killing bucks. They keep killing bucks over and over again, right, right there. I mean, so in Alabama and probably in Georgia, you can, you can answer that better than me, but you don't hunt by the check-in station. Like, <laughs> you're not going to kill big bucks and a 150 inch buck got killed behind this check-in station in Kentucky. So I think overthinking it 
Like we overthought it bad. And the fact of the matter is, man, you, you just didn't have to. Like these deer were going to be on their patterns. If their buddy got shot, they were probably still going to stay on that same pattern. And and that's just that's just how it worked out there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a really nice lesson to learn because it's easier to to not overthink it. And uh, and I probably will overthink it still. So I'm, I'm a public land deer hunter. That's what we do. But um, you know, I think going into it uh, with an open mind and and not getting discouraged and not, not working. This is going to sound bad, but not working harder than I have to. Um, cause that, that just, it just messed us up there. So, uh, I think that was, that was one thing learning the food sources in, in a place like that, where you have a lot of ag, um, they have a lot of corn, a lot of soybeans and learning kind of the rotations of those. And like, um, one thing that we learned was that if there's green soybeans, hunt them. That's where you need to be at. It don't matter if you're right next to the road or not. Like if there's green, if the soybeans are still green, then you need to be there. But the moment that they turn yellow and also the moment that they cut the corn, that the farmers cut the corn, like you need to switch and you need to be on cut, cut corn. Cause that's where like we immediately started seeing deer on these cut cornfields. And so, um, you know, stuff like that kind of for, for a guy that's used to hunting big woods and tough terrain, it's not something I know, you know, it's not something I've ever done before. And so, um, kind of learning that is, uh, is a big deal. I don't know that there was anything I could do differently, but, um, what I will do different is because I learned, you know, this year kind of how to do that. Um, as far as Alabama goes, I, I really don't think that there is anything that I would do differently. Um, you know, I kind of feel like one day that'll probably change and, um, but man, like I, I hit, I hit kind of a stride this year and it, and it just kind of kept working and kept working and kept working. And I eventually was able to tag out. And so, um, it, I, I can't say that there's a whole lot that I would do different on purpose. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes perfect sense. And yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna allude to the fact that you tagged out. Um, and so there, <laughs> I mean, you tag out, you did something right. right so, right. um, but so let's talk about that. Let's give me, um, you know, you shot several deer. I know you have at least three buck tags. I don't even know how many does you shot, but, um, tell us like one or two, um, stories that really stood out to you. I'm sure all of them stood out, but give us one or two stories of one of these, um, kills that really stood out to you this season. Yeah. Um, so my, my largest buck this year, it was an eight point and, uh, he was a four and a half year old eight point and definitely my biggest public land kill that I've ever, that I've ever had. And, and for sure my, the most mature on public land. And, um, so he obviously stuck out to me, you know, everything about that hunt was a, uh, it, it, it just, it just worked out perfect. So it was a first time sit. I had never even been to this area. It was, my dad had his, his bass boat. So I wasn't in the kayak and it kind of opened up our world a little bit where we could really go explore miles and miles of, of land that we, that I don't, am not able to access on the kayak. And so, uh, I had been looking at this place, you know, when he told me he was going to be in the, bringing his boat, I had been looking at this place and like, man, I don't know. It looks Okay. It doesn't look awesome, but it's land, it's waterlocked. So it's landlocked and waterlocked. So nobody can get there unless they're coming by water. It could be good. It could be not, not very, 
pressured. And so I kind of went back and forth. Well, my dad ended up killing a buck, that buck I was talking about earlier. And so I was like, you know what? This has already been a successful trip. I only have one buck tag and I've got like two and a half months of the season left. Let's just go try it. And so I had this idea of where I wanted to hunt. And if any of your listeners are familiar with the hunting beast and kind of the tactics of it, this spot really laid out perfectly for a buck that is scent checking doe beds. Um, or it, you know, obviously I hadn't scouted the area before. It was the first time in there. Um, it could have been him going to his own bed or scent checking doe bedding. It was just a really good looking doe or bedding area that was on private land. So I, I wouldn't even be able to go into it anyways, but it was a real thick pine thicket um, with hardwoods. Hardwoods was on the public and then the transition line was the property line. And then going into this, there's like two little points and I have a video and I explain it. Uh, I think it's called my biggest public land buck ever. And that's on the Southern or the sportsman's nation YouTube channel. Um, where I really go into detail on it and kind of, you can see it on the map, how it worked out. But, um, it, I mean, it was just perfect. I set up, uh, on the leeward side of the Ridge on the, the, the military crest. So that kind of logging road where it, where it flattens out right there. And that military crest led to that private land. And then just right on top of those two points that I thought would be great for bedding. And they overlooked the water and stuff. And so it was really perfect. And the thermal advantage there, the thermal, uh, the thermal tunnel coming over. I mean, it was just absolutely perfect. And I have never had a, an encounter or a, a hunt that worked out so perfectly where I basically just predicted without ever even having been in there. I had no camera up. I predicted what was going to happen. And the, the buck did the exact same thing that I thought he was going to do. And he was going the same direction. He was a big, mature, big-bodied, mature buck, and uh, like it was, it was absolutely insane, man. And my dad was there for me. And the funny thing was, uh, I did not have my rifle. Right, I was, um, I had run out of bullets, and I had dropped my rifle, and the scope was off, and so I had no way of knowing of sighting it back in. So I ended up taking my AR. Uh, which is a 223 <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm not like, I'm not crazy about deer hunting with it. I know a lot of people love it and I'm not necessarily anti hunting with it. Uh, especially does, you know, I'd probably shoot a doe just because they're smaller. Uh, they, they don't, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I'm not, they're not a lesser animal for sure, but does a lot of times have a lot, uh, weaker will to survive, I guess than a big mature buck. They want to survive. And so I ended up shooting this buck through some brush because um, it's real thick in there. And I hit him perfect right behind the shoulder. I could see the shot. He ran off, stopped about 40 yards. I shot again. He ran just a little bit further. And it ended up taking like six shots to drop him. Like, I'm sure he would have died. But with a two-two-three, I just wasn't going to take any chances. I, I saw him. He was big. I didn't want to take any chances. And so it ended up taking like six shots behind the shoulder just to make him fall over. And, uh, and then he, you know, he's, he, he didn't die immediately after six shots and they were great shots. But so my dad was across the lake from me, uh, like across this little cove, probably 300 yards away. And I'm just, it sounds like a dove shoot going on over there, man. It's like, <laughs> 
like just kept going off. And then come to find out, this was the one of the funniest parts about this whole deal. There was a guy there that um that was like not far from my dad. Well, when I posted the video of this, he was like, he sent me a message. He said, dude, I was hunting like really, really close. He wasn't hunting the same area. Like he wasn't in the same area that I was. He was like, but I was hunting really close to that area one day. He's like, what day did you shoot that, that, that deer? And I told him like it was Thursday and he's like, dude, I totally heard you shoot. And I just thought it was some crazy, some crazy. Trash. <laughs> I like oh, oh my god that was me <laughs> and uh <laughs> so the lesson learned okay so the, going back to your question what would you do differently i would not take out an ar a 223 um when i'm going after a mature buck that is one thing yeah. that i would do differently and uh probably won't ever do it again um so i don't you know i don't i don't want to argue with people about it this that's just my experience Six shots is way too many shots to put in an animal to make it fall over. So, gee, yeah, that's my that's my that's story, crazy. and I'm sticking to it. No, that's good. That's crazy. So, now, okay, so talk about um, going into the. You, you know, you kind of already mentioned going into the spot. You took a boat. Um, did you go in? you know, before first light or did you, um, just kind of ease your way in and then, so you could see where you were going to set up or what was that kind of like? So, uh, I was actually talking with somebody about this yesterday. Um, they were saying, you know, they, they put a lot into the, um, mid morning movement. Like they don't, especially if they're going to a new spot, they're not trying to, they're not really trying to go in there and go in blind in the dark. I almost always go in blind in the dark and um i never i I just i hate missing that first probably 30 minutes of daylight because if a buck is moving back to his bed if i'm hunting close to bedding and a buck is coming back into his bed that's probably about the time that he's gonna do it and and for me if if i'm trying to decide if i want to sit in the tree all day or if i just want to sit in the tree for 30 minutes i'm going to choose 30 minutes every time like I would way rather make it happen, get it done and, and get home to my family, you know, get the deer out of there, have all day to get it out. Um, so I always go. And if I plan on sitting all day, then I'll sit all day. I saddle hunt. And so it's super comfortable. It's very light. Uh, it, it's not cumbersome to get, to get into a spot in the dark. And so like, it's, it, I just, I have always done that. Now, if I have the option, I'll hunt a spot in the evening first so that I can kind of get my grips on it before, before going in there in the morning. But pretty much every time I hunt in the morning, I'm going in, you know, every time I hunt a new spot, I'll go in blind in the dark and, and, uh, just kind of set myself up for an observation sit or, uh, and sometimes I just go in for it. Like that specific day, I just went in for it, man. And I was not at all concerned about it because the fact was, all I had was that week. I don't have a bass boat. My dad does. I would never be able to hunt that place ever again um, unless I had a boat. And so uh, I, I didn't mind being aggressive in it. I didn't mind, you know, potentially being too aggressive there. And it worked, man. Like it was a very aggressive move and it worked pretty well. So, um, uh, you know, going in in the mornings, I, I really. I really could care less. I, I kind of enjoy doing it. It's kind of a mystery whenever the sun comes up. You don't know what anything's going to look like. 
<laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So let's let's back up for a little bit. I want you to briefly talk about um, some of these uh, beast tactics that you're referring to. Talk about um, the military crest and the leeward side and kind of how you're setting up on that um, for people that may not be as familiar. I know we could talk about this pretty much all day if we wanted to. So just give us kind of a high level overview of what you mean when you refer to that. Yeah. So, um, it's kind of funny. I heard somebody talking about it the other day and they described the leeward side really good. Um, but the leeward side is basically the side that the wind is not hitting. So if the wind's coming out of, if the wind is coming out of the North, right. Uh, winds coming out of the North, the leeward side is going to be the South facing slope. Right. And so the wind right. coming over that, over that slope, that's the leeward side of the Ridge. So this specific day, I had an eastern wind, so the wind was coming out of the east, and um, and it doesn't do that very much. Like that's a pretty rare thing, and so I was hunting, looking up the ridge, um, just slightly, not real bad, but looking up the side of the the side of the hill. And the reason I did that is because that first, you know, when the thermals, uh, when the thermal, when the sun first comes up, the thermals are pulling down, uh, especially to that water. It's going to be. Um, while the before the sun comes up over the horizon that that they're pulling down into that water and so it makes the access so much easier especially when when the wind is coming over it when you're on the 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 leeward side and the wind is pushing it's still pushing into your face and so um it was just one of those like really good advantages there and a lot of times what those what those bucks will do especially during the rut when they're out cruising is they'll walk the east the the leeward side of the ridge. They'll walk the just just cruise it, you know, on that upper third, and and it creates what's called a thermal a thermal tunnel. And um, it's when the thermals switch and the thermals start rising, but the wind is coming up over. And so if you can picture that, it makes like a funnel, and and so the bucks are using that to adva- to their advantage because they're able to catch the the smell from the direction the winds coming to them but then they're also catching that rising thermal scent coming and so they can and i mean it's like it's really hard not it's really hard to explain uh verbally like i would say anybody that wants to know go check out uh dan and fault the hunting beast just type in ther- uh what is a thermal funnel and or a thermal tunnel and you'll see you'll see all kinds of things explaining it um but that was kind of where that buck, he, he was doing the exact same thing. He was a big, mature buck, and he was just in in that thermal advantage, and he was about to be at the doe bedding area where he was going to be able to tell what does were, uh, where the does were running at, if they were somewhere somewhere close or somewhere around there. Um, does that kind of explain what you were what you were asking a little bit? Yeah, no, no, that's good. That's that's good, and you know that. You bring up a good point. If if anybody's a visual learner like I am, definitely just um, go Google or you know search um, the Hunting Beast uh, Thermal Tunnel or Leeward Side or all that good stuff, and you'll you'll find tons of different you know layouts or images of what that looks like. But um, yeah, that's uh, yeah that's a great explanation, and uh, I th- I think that's interesting because you know one of the areas that I hunt here in Georgia, um, it's a very very small piece of property that I have access to, and so I'm always racking my brain as to where I need to set up. And, you know, I've hunted it, I think going on four or five years now, and I'm literally switching my stand every single year and trying to figure out a different location, but it never fails that 
the buck, the buck sign, the primary buck sign from the mature bucks are always in that mil- on that military crest in the thermal tunnel on the leeward side. Um, and I, I, without fail, like every year, there's a new tree that's just rubbed up and down. There's scrapes. And um, now that I'm starting to understand and put these pieces together, you know, I've, I've definitely already decided where I'm going to put my stands next year. But um, no, that's that's a good point. And, you know, people can once again go check out the video to see how all of this came together um, in the video. Now, cool. Now, um, if uh, do you, what about do you have anything else? Um, that's obviously um, one of your tags that you <laughs> that you filled. What about what about the other? No, well, let me let me back up. Sorry. Did you tag out on the same piece of public? I think you already answered this, but I don't know for sure. Yes, I shot every buck. It's it, it is it's on a like a different part of it, but it's the same. Sure. Same okay. Uh, gotcha. All, gotcha. Um, all three bucks, all three bucks, and I shot one doe on opening day, uh, in the, on the same place. And then the other, the other doe that I killed was that we called it a pocket deer. Um, <laughs> the, the oh gosh, yeah, um, that's awesome. But yeah, all three so, bucks came from that same that same place. Cool. Now, so what about one of your other bucks or even, even for the sake of argument, even your dad's buck, because you, in the video, you put him on that buck. So talk about, talk about that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, this is a very interesting, a, a very interesting spot. Um, and, and I can actually talk about another buck that I killed this year and his, because they died 10 feet away from each other. Right. Um, obviously not the same day, but you know, within the same, you know, couple weeks, these deer died right there doing almost the exact same thing. Uh, so this is another, another instance of very well-known buck be- or a uh, doe bedding. And, um, it is in a Creek bottom in an Oak flat. So, I mean, there are, dude, there's white Oaks and acorns everywhere, all the way from, from the waterline to the property boundary. It's just white oaks. And so because of that, it's wide open. Like, too, it's hard to find any cover in there. But because it's public, because it's um, because it's waterlocked and landlocked, the deer feel safe there. There's a lot of safety there. And um, this spot that I'm, this specific spot, it's like a hillside. The only way I can explain it is it's like a small knob, right? And the top of the knob, goes onto private land and it's a it's a club so there's a lot of pressure in there it's a hunting club so there's lots of pressure there and and the top of it is doe bedding and every single doe i've ever seen in the area well uh, every single doe i've ever seen in that area was either on that hillside or walking to that hillside and the same thing almost every buck i've ever seen was either walking this hillside or um, on it where they're going up to this bed. Um, the deer I killed was in the pre-rut and he was a, he wasn't a young buck, you know, he was probably a three-year-old, um, a three-year-old deer. He, you know, great deer, goofy looking. He has like a goofy drop tine on one side. Um, but what he was doing is he go, they go down to the base of this, of this, uh, this hill, this, it's like this knob. And the deer, are all the does are always feeding close to close to the waterline. They're almost always coming from the waterline and heading to that spot. The du- the bucks come from the private land, and they just walk. 
they just it's so crazy that they just walk the around all the way around this knob to see if to scent check these doe trails to see if there's a doe that's up in that bedding and um and so my my first buck i killed him uh i guess it was the later part of of november it was after thanksgiving um it was towards the end of, of november is when i killed him and he was doing just that. He came off the private land, off that transition line, and just walked walked around this knob. And at the time, he was the third buck I've in two years that I've killed off of that hillside. And when I say hillside, like I mean like, uh, you know, it's just a it's just a little tiny knob in the middle of nothing, just in the middle of all these of of all these ridges and stuff. It's just a knob right there. Um. And he's the third buck I've killed there. Well, my dad came and he's had a tough season in Texas. His property that he owns flooded and it's on a river and it flooded and the deer just were not there this year for whatever reason. Last year he was, he was really pumped up because last year he got an idea idea of where the deer are crossing his property at. And so this year when it flooded, it was just a downer. And so I put him in this spot and uh, I knew that it was going to produce because we were in the peak of the rut. I knew it was going to produce. Um, I still had a buck tag left, but if he shot the last buck that was in that place, I was going to be happy with it. Well, he calls me, and I was I was hunting, and he called me, and 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 again, not I'm not trying to pimp myself out on the videos, but just go watch the video because it's really awesome. Because he's so pumped up, uh, and he calls me, and he's like, "This is the most amazing thing. This deer just." This buck chased a doe. He came up like 15 yards, made a scrape right in front of me. Oh my gosh, this is insane. Like he's just like going nuts. (laughs) And so I ended up climbing down and hiking over like three ridges to get over to him. And when we, we found this buck, man, and it was just a, like I said earlier, you know, it was one of those moments where, uh, you know, that, you know, after he's not old, my dad's not an old man. But one day, you know, he is going to be an old man. He's not going to be able to go out and do things. It's going to happen to me too. He's not going to be able to go and do those things, but we'll have those moments just to kind of, just kind of reflect on. And and I'll be able to show my kids those, like watch how Boppy got so stinking happy right here. Watch, watch, I mean, you can see it all over his face. And, um, you know, that was, that was a less tactical hunt for me and was more just a, I could care less about what happened, man. Like the, they were in rut and there was, a decent, a really good buck chasing a doe, and they happen to chase him right in front of my dad. It's a good spot, really good funnel, deer there. But that hunt was all about just sharing that memory. And uh, you know, at the time, that was the day before I shot my big buck that I just told told the story about. Um, so at the time, that was the biggest buck that is bigger than anything I'd ever killed out here. You know, and and I put in a lot of time and effort, but my dad killed it and dude, I couldn't have been, it felt just like I killed it. And, and it was, it was just amazing. You know, I, I just tell everybody, try to have those experiences. I, I really put a lot into the experience of the hunt and, you know, I, I get very tactical and I love to be tactical and I love to talk about bedding and pinch points and, you know, scent checking trails and all this stuff. I, I love talking about that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the most important thing, you can have all that as long as I got these memories and these experiences, man. Those are those are the most important part about it to me, for sure. 
Right. That's a good point. Yeah, I know a lot of times we get caught up in the grind and doing, you know, whatever we can to get on a, a big mature buck. And sometimes we forget to have fun and forget, you know, that's why we're out there in the first place. So that's that's a very good point that you bring up. So um, I want to talk about um, scent control. I want to back up and go to that. Um, you had described your setup earlier what are you doing for scent control are you simply playing the win um what does that look like for you yeah this is a short short answer because i don't do anything other than play the win and and at times uh, people are going to crucify me for it but sometimes i don't even do that uh you know, especially <laughs> when i'm going into a new spot like if there's a spot that i know like okay that if there's a deer bedded here it's going to be right there then I'll try to get with the wind in my favor for it. But, um, I mean, you just never know when you're going into new spots and you're being aggressive on public land. You just don't know where the deer are coming in from. You can look at trails, right. you can look at everything, but if you've never been there, it's hard, man. And so I do my best to, to, you know, play the wind. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to hunt a leeward side, I'm going to, I'm going to take thermals and into into like i'm i'm gonna use those try to figure out what those are gonna do i use a lot of milkweed i drop milkweed and the whole way into the spot i'm trying to set up with it you know in in my favor but at the end of the day you just never know the deer is a wild animal you can't tell it what to do and so you know i mean you never know where they're gonna come out at um (laughs) and sometimes man like so i'll give you an example yet uh when i was in kentucky a couple weeks ago I was hunting this huge like cornfield area. It was just a system of fields. And I I was watching the woods because if a deer came out on the cornfield, like if it came from the middle, I mean, when I say it was a big cornfield, it was like hundreds and hundreds of acres of field right there. If there was a deer out there, I would see it. All of a sudden, a deer just popped out of nowhere and was right in front of me and running like from the middle of this system of cornfields. And I had just seen it. I didn't see it till it was like 30 yards in front of me like they get places they come out of places that you just never know where they're going to be and so uh like he was right that it was it was two bucks and there were three bucks in a doe that were right there and uh i mean you just never know like it's it's tough to play the win this is actually my first year not doing anything like i have a i have a uh, what are they called? The ozone go things that you plug into your cigarette lighter in your, in your truck. Uh, I think scent crusher makes it and mm-hmm. it, it just releases the ozone, you know, it generates the ozone in your vehicle. Uh, and so I do that. I didn't do it the whole se- I didn't do it every time I hunted though. Um, I probably washed my clothes like a grand total of like three times, four times all season. Um, I, you know, they were sour and mildewed and sometimes you just can't like when you're going hard when you're grinding it's hard to a lot of times you're not like thinking about washing your clothes and so i don't necessarily do that uh not religiously anyways i I try to every once in a while um i take scent free showers when i think about it you know i'm i'm, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed about <laughs> it. like i'm not like if i get some more if i get some more uh scent free soap during christmas time i'll use it until it's gone you know just as a precaution but at the end of the day i didn't spend a dime on like sprays or or anything like that uh i know me and you talked about i think when you came on southern ground we talked about scent crusher and um and kind of the ozone kind of the whole ozone trend 
that's happening. And it's not that I necessarily think that that doesn't help. Uh, but I just don't really, I, I really don't want to carry extra gear, honestly. Like I don't want to carry any, anything else that, that I don't need. Cause I'm carrying camera equipment and sticks and a platform and stuff and then a bow or a rifle. And so, uh, I don't use Ozonics or anything like that. Um, I'd like to get a scent crusher bag one day. I just haven't done it. The other things have been higher priority for me. So, you know, in a, in a quick way of saying that, like my scent control is pretty much non-existent really, I guess. Well, that's good. I mean, whatever you're doing is working. So, I mean, don't, don't quit while you're ahead. So yeah, you <laughs> like confidence is everything when you go in the woods. Um, yep. And, and if, if it makes people more confident to put out, you know, Tink 69 or whatever, or, you know, wear dead down wind or anything like that, if it makes you more confident or put on a hex suit, then got power to you, man. This, it's a free country. Like if that's what people want to do, like, great. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I don't notice a difference for me, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you own or somebody else that's listening that they don't, that it doesn't actually work for them. And so, um, just whatever you do, make sure you're confident about it. Don't second guess yourself so much. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, even uh, even down here in the, the deep south, we tend to second guess ourselves quite often. And like you said, with some of these places that we hunt, deer can come from any direction. And so, um, you know what, you could get busted one day um, and not the next day. Um, it just It just depends. So... Well, very cool. So l- let me ask you this, kind of wrapping things up. Um, if you had to boil your season down to uh, one thing, what what would you attribute your success to this season? Oh, um, man, it's, it's tough. And I, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be this guy that, you know, that tries to be different from everybody else or whatever. Like, I guess it, I guess it all boils down to what your, what your success, what what your view of success is. You know, I know people who have had successful seasons that didn't kill a thing. Um, but if we're talking just about like, so like I pushed myself past a lot of limits this year. Um, I learned so much about, uh, in 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 scouting season. I just I, I became a better. I became a better outdoorsman through um, throughout the summer. You know, I, I stopped fishing. I love to fish. I stopped fishing really uh, so I could focus on whitetails. Um, and so I, I I grinded pretty dang hard. Um, I'll tell you something physical that, that helped me was learning to saddle hunt and getting into saddle hunting. It put me in places where the deer were. It put me in the tree. And, and I, like, I'm not saying this because uh, – for for any other reason and like it freaking works it is the best system for public land hunting to get yourself elevated to get the shots off that you're looking for um like something physical i did like that is that's one of the things but uh you know i think i think setting my expectations and and going going hard at them and setting the expectations for myself and going hard at them was was the biggest reason i was you know successful in in the woods and being able to harvest the animals that i did um just i always try to say like um find your limit and then go a little bit past it and then you know either you're going to die or you're going to have a good story to tell right (laughs) 
I mean, yep, I guess <laughs> that's how you chalk it up. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's good advice, kids. You're either going to die or you're going to have a good story to it's tell. It's all about no. the story. Uh, yep. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. It is. It's about the story. It's about the memories. And, um, you know, you you got both of those this year um, with tagging out and with, you know, putting your dad on a deer, um, which is just, you know, you can't put a number to that. That's that's super special. And, um, you know, cherish that one, um, you know, for for a long time. So and it is well, cool. I say, like that was for me, that was probably when I look back at my season, what the most successful moment of that was. It was that moment um, because, you know, my dad is like my, he's my best friend. Every hunt, you know, every t- we, he lives in Texas. I live in Alabama. But after every single time, either one of us is in the woods. We call each other. Uh, it doesn't matter if it was n- no deer seen or if it was the best hunt of our life. Like we call each other every time and uh, we FaceTime each other after we kill something, you know, so that the other person can be a part of it and and be there. It's like they're there with us. And so uh, that that was the best. He's put me on a lot of deer in my life. You know, he's sat in a blind in the cold for me to kill a deer in Texas a whole lot of times when I was younger. And so. Um, for that moment for me was a very special moment because, you know, I, you just can't, you can't, re- you can't replace that. It was, it was fun. It was definitely a, a good time. Sure enough. Very cool. So, all right, well, as we're wrapping up, let's transition, um, to what I like to call our whitetail rally round. I've got three quick questions for you and I just want to hear what you got. So what is your preferred way to prepare venison? Hmm. Okay, so my favorite way to prepare venison is immediately, like, immediately after it's shot. Um, usually backstrap or the heart cooked over an open flame is, it, it, you know, it, it probably doesn't taste the best, but it is, but it does at the same time. Like, there's just something about the whole experience that is absolutely incredible when you get that, that backstrap or the heart fresh like never before frozen it's tough to beat it i don't care how it's cooked it i mean it's just it's just good it's such a fun experience (laughs) that's good that's awesome all right uh, number two what is your number one favorite hunting resource man that's a i guess in in short the huntingbeast.com okay yep very good um all right, number three, describe a bucket list hunt that you would like to go on. Yes, this is the second time. So this is the second time I've answered this question this week. Um, my bucket list hunt is I want to go to Alaska and kayak some river. I don't care what river it is. <laughs> kayak for a full day onto, land, onto a piece of land that has caribou or whatever legal game. I don't care what it is. But basically, <laughs> go on a hunt for any any animal in in Alaska? Did I say Africa? I'm in Alaska. No, you said Alaska the first time. You're good. Yeah, that's what I meant. In Alaska, and hunt anything possible. A day's kayak trip in, and hunt for like two two weeks or something, and camp out, and and then kayak back. Like I don't care what animal it is. That just sounds like an absolute blast. Yeah, that sounds stellar. You'll have to take your uh, your fishing rod with you too. So I hear it's pretty good fishing up there. Exactly. So. 
Well, cool. So, Parker, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about Southern Ground, where can they go? Yeah, so you can go to Facebook or Instagram. It's at Southern Ground Hunting, all one word on both of those. You'll find it. Um, the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Uh, you'll find us there. We also have our own RSS feed if you want to listen to it that way. Um, I'm trying to think. YouTube, go to Sportsman's Nation or just search Southern Ground Hunting on youtube you'll find us there um yeah it's pretty much like every major platform i think so uh our podcast is on just about every uh every place that you can download podcasts so you can find it there so um so yeah podcast youtube social media all right there you have it folks so well parker man i appreciate it thanks again and um thanks for coming on and just talking to us about some some good old alabama public land hunting man i've enjoyed it i hope you did too sure man it's been a it's been a blast i enjoyed being a part all right and that is going to be it for this episode of the southern ground hunting podcast i really hope you guys will go and check out nathan's podcast the whitetail guru he has a lot of really great content that he is pushing from there i um, talking to some really good deer hunters and uh, outdoorsmen across the south, the southeast, and uh, I think he even dips a little bit into the rest of the country as well. So go and check out the stuff that he's doing. He's also a writer for Wide, Wide Open Spaces, so uh, if you are interested in, in some of that stuff, look him up on Facebook. His name is Nathan Unger, Instagram, Bulldog Outdoors, Whitetail Guru. I think the, the man's got a, a lot of Instagram accounts, so... Um, yeah, go check him out. You will not be disappointed. Um, again, as always, thanks to our partners at Tethered, at Onyx, at New Breed, and at Go Wild. We believe in the things that they're doing. Go and check them out. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting, all lowercase, all one word. YouTube, check out the Sportsman's Nation Network on YouTube. You'll see our videos. we got a lot of cool stuff on there. Working on a couple of more videos to be able to push out before the end of the season to keep you guys entertained. And then also we have got some really cool plans to do some um, climbing method videos and what's in our bag videos during the off season and uh, maybe even a little bit of fishing in there and definitely a lot of scouting. So if you're interested in any of that, check it out. The Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. You'll find all that stuff. So you guys have a... An awesome weekend. If you're going to be in the woods, good luck. I hope, you, I hope you're successful. Um, but if you are in the woods or if you're not in the woods, just remember this, that God gave us dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. Just go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.